Okay. So if you want to turn in your, turn in your phones to <laughs> Genesis chapter 3. The reading for today is Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. You have to pardon my voice. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Uh, what I've called this talk this afternoon is watch out for sneaky atmospheres, all right? Watch out for sneaky atmospheres. That's my talk. Um, when you try to figure out what's gone r- wrong with the human race, uh, we need to really know what's gone wrong with it because it's really important so that if we actually know what's gone wrong with it, we know how to sort it out. Is that fair enough? And I think there is, I think we'd all say there's something wrong with the human race, wouldn't we? I think that Trump would, a few others would probably... <laughs> prove that not sort of bagging him in particular but there are a few others um there's a lady who i've just seen some of the the effect of this lady her name is beatrice webb beatrice webb she was a londoner or an english lady she started the london school of economics um which has really influenced countries she and her husband were actually while i passed by she said she actually married her husband not for his body but for his, his head for his brains which i thought I haven't heard many women have done that and have actually admitted it. But they, they started the London School of Economics. Um, it, it, it's a place, you know, people go f- after being there and they run governments. They go into treasury buildings and that sort of stuff after. It's a big place. It's not just economics. It's about br- trying to bring appropriate social change as well. And in 1935, oh, I'll read what she says. She talked about this. She was obviously very led towards socialist stuff. And she and her husband almost became communists, except the communists in Russia were killing one another by the bucket load, and she didn't think that was very good. And so after all of this, trying to look at trying to help people socially, she said, I've staked everything on the essential goodness of human nature, the essential goodness of human nature. Well, who's a silly person in a way? Very clever lady. Now, 35 years later, I realised... No amount of science or knowledge has been of any avail, and unless we curb the bad impulses, how will we ever get better social institutions? How can we turn humanity around? Now, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 9 is about how we turn humanity around. This is how, this is, it explains what happens and how God turns it around, okay? 
So I want to look at, at four things from this particular passage, and you can follow it by looking at it on your iPhone. One, the sneaky atmosphere. This is what happens to actually get us to where we are now. The sneaky atmosphere, the lie, the, acts, the act of our wills, and then finally, we need to look at the tree because that's where everything's turned around again. The sneaky atmosphere, looking in there, in there uh, we can read again, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had, that God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, this is, it's interesting there that in actual fact, the word really could be used, changed, you know, indeed. Like, it's about uh, sneaking up on the woman and giving a bad atmosphere. Would he really say that? Is he so, you know, restrictive to say you can't eat from this beautiful tree in the middle of the garden? He's saying, indeed, did he really say, he's mocking what God, he's, he's saying really about God, is he such an idiot, such a jerk to say that about that tree that's so beautiful in the middle of the garden, okay? He's not denying that God says it. Uh, the serpent will never deny that God is God and that God is going to get his way. You read that all through the Bible, especially in the New Testament. But he's just trying to get people to, 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 people to actually get that, that sort of really sneaky atmosphere where things change around. He's mocking God. He's trying to get Adam and Eve to laugh at God and what God says, all right? He's trying to get their attitudes to try to change towards it. When I was in theological college, uh, I'd come from Bible college, uh, which Jen's grandfather was principal of at the time, and he means, he means a, very much, a lot to me in terms of encouraging me in the faith. Other people came up to theological college. Bible colleges study the Bible. Theological colleges study theology, right? So there's a change there, all right? Coming up from there uh, in the theological college, uh, they said we'd come from the funny farm, which in a way is an atmosphere that they try and throw on you, okay? And what I found really, really sad was that some folks who came up from a Bible college having an understanding of a passage like this in the way that I'm talking about this afternoon, through the atmosphere where you'd say, would someone would say, do you really believe in miracles? You know, it's almost like, you're on the outer because we are more intellectual, you know what I mean, more intellectual than you, does that make sense? Uh, and I was just really saddened by the fact that some of my friends just basically went away from the vitality of their faith through atmosphere, does that make a sense? So watch out for sneaky atmosphere, that's number one. I've only got three of these things, so you can hope that I don't take two hours. The second one is the fall of the human race occurs through a lie, okay, through a lie. The next thing you see is, uh, is after the attitude of the heart comes the lie of the mind. We see it here in, in verse 4, God has said, don't eat of this tree, and the serpent comes back in verse 4 again and says, you will not surely die, so there's the lie, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. Your eyes will be opened. God knows, you know, it's a lie, straight contradiction, all right? And what he's saying, if you obey, he, what the, the, the serpent is saying is, if you obey God, you'll miss out. If you obey God, you won't be happy. If you obey God, the will of God, it'll cut you off from your options. If it will keep you from being all that you want to be. You will not thrive and flourish under the, weird, the, the will of God. Does that make sense? In other words, he's just basically telling the straight porky pie. You see, the, 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 the serpent knows what's really important to destroy here. He denies the goodness of God. That's what he's destroying is my belief in the goodness of God your belief in the goodness of God. That's what's happening there. 
Uh, and you can see it in the, the story of the prodigal son in, in Luke chapter 2, uh, 15, where uh, these two brothers, all right, you know the story probably, if you don't, you can look it up. Um, the, the older brother, he comes back uh, and he says, well, basically he says, I've, I've kept all of these rules, so I've, I've actually earned my salvation. Uh, he doesn't believe in the goodness of God because he doesn't trust in God's grace that God's already got him on side. You know what I mean? God has freely brought him into his family and the youngest one doesn't believe in God because he goes off and does what he does and has pleasure and all the rest of it. And he doesn't trust the, the, the grace of God to actually give him pleasure. Does that make sense as well? So both of them are do denying the goodness of God. One, because he has to keep the rules. The other, because he wants pleasure. Fair enough. That's what Jesus is talking about there. Okay, here's, a, here's another thing that I want you to try and listen to for a second. Have any of you heard of Eric Erickson? Have any of you studying psychology or anything? You're lucky. Um, <laughs> Eric Erickson, we had a look at him and I could actually understand him. A lot of the others I couldn't uh, to some extent anyway. He said in a book, Childhood and Psychology, he says if a child in their very earliest years learns not to trust the dominant personality of the parents because they have been abused, or because they've been neglected or abandoned, then they have a fundamental inability to, at to attach or trust ever again. And it's a tap rate for all, all other kinds of pathologies. Did you understand what I said then? Uh, not really. Oh, I'll, I'll just say, he's saying, if, and, and I know about this, he's saying, if for whatever reasons, when you're a little tiny baby, you get dislocated from the love of your parents. You don't, because of your, you've been abused or because uh, you've been neglected and, and you haven't got that foundational love relationship with your mum and dad, well, then you're sort of set loose and you never really often can find wh who you really are or what you really should do because somehow or other it just sets you loose from who you, your, your identity is. Does that make sense? That's what Eric Erickson says. Now... I, I think he's right and I checked out my psychologist's son and he said, yeah, that seemed pretty good, so I assume that's all right, <laughs> although he's my son, so there you go. Um, but the funny thing is, is, is it's exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. It's exactly the same thing. When we were in our infancy as the human race, we believed the serpent that we can't trust God and we can't trust his love and out of that comes pathologies, you know, we, can't, we won't back ourselves or we overback ourselves. We build ourselves up too much or we push out. You know what I mean? We don't become balanced human beings who really know that God loves us. All right. So firstly, you get the sneer. Then you, then you get this a sneery atmosphere. Secondly, you get this lie into our minds. One goes into our emotions. One goes into our minds. And, and then you get this one that leads to an act of the will. Uh, in verse 6, we read there, when the woman saw, because she's listening to the serpent, saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it as well. So what's a great sin? Now what's a horrible action? What is it that ruined the human race? Now, just aside from that, what if God had actually said to Adam and Eve and given them an explanation for the tree? What, why, why did God say, and I asked this question, I read the, the, the Genesis uh, when I first was, when I was a, a younger Christian. Why, why didn't God give them an explanation? You got, God says you can eat from all these trees. There's this one beautiful tree with beautiful fruit in the middle of the garden. 
Why didn't he say to them, don't eat from that? Because if you eat from that, you're going to feel pain, you're going to feel alienation. One of your sons will murder your other son, then the generations after that will get worse or better and go round and round in circles. And of course, Adam and Eve surely would have said, you know, oh, okay, if it's that bad, I'm not going to eat from it. But then you see again, they're actually following God and what God wants, the cost-benefits analysis. You know what I mean? Cost-benefits analysis says, don't, for crying out loud, eat that fruit from that really good tree in the middle of the garden. And God wanted them to actually trust him, simply to trust him. All right? Does that make sense? We don't obey the rules simply because they were rules. We look behind the rule and see that the God who's behind the rules is a good God who loves us and is looking after us. But when we don't see that, we get anxious. You know, even now we've got the assembly coming up in the Uniting Church and, you know, inside of me there's this thing going on and maybe we feel it like Jen and Michael may feel it. I'll say, you know, we want to actually get God to take the church. We want it to, he to take it, you know. Uh, we want to actually uh, do things so that we get history right and we're a bit afraid that God won't get history right. You know what I mean? We want things to be bigger if, if, and, or we want things to be different. And we can even think about our own personal lives, you know, if we're having a bad day and we feel lonely, you know, being a Christian and, and, and sort of having friends that sort of don't really shun me but they think I've got a disease because I'm a Christian, you know, it doesn't, you know, sometimes I feel like it's not very progressive to be a Christian, you know what I mean? You know, it's not, it's not really, I'm not in when I'm in that situation. It doesn't meet my needs in a sense. There's a guy called William Borden, have any of you heard of him? No, he, he was a missionary. Now, he came out of an extremely wealthy family in the United States of America and um, uh, he went to Yale in the 19, 1890s. He was extremely wealthy and he sensed God's call on his life and so he decided to go to North China. That was going to be his missionary field, okay? Uh, his family were appalled that he'd actually even think about doing that, right? But he was resolute, Okay. So when he graduated from Yale, he sold his own, he gave away his own, for, um, his own fortune to a, uh, the Mission Society, which was a, a million American pounds back in those days, was a, a bucket load of money, okay? And, and he, just, he just went off, right? He's relatively, relatively poor now, uh, but he was absolutely resolute on what he should do. He moved to Cairo in the top of Africa, Cairo, is that right? thank you, um, to learn Arabic, okay? But at the same time, within weeks, he contracted spinal meningitis and within a few more weeks, he was dead. This young guy. Now, what would you say if you were William Borden? What would you write? I think I'd be writing as I was dying, God, what the heck do you think you're doing here, mate, you know? But what he wrote was these words, no reserve, no retreat, no regrets. And that was a, about as pure a statement as you can get on the whole thing of you trust God because God is God. You trust God because he loves you. You trust God because he knows what he's doing with you. Now, in, in, in actual facts, what he did, he just completely overturned what the serpent was doing. He just basically threw it all back in his face and, and, and just stood on that. You see that it's the ultimate destruction of the human will is to, to, to power, uh, for us to have power that's ruining our lives. This guy was completely powerless as he lied dying, lay dying, okay? 
But instead of that, we overcome when we say, I'm doing this because God says so, because God is God and I'm not, period, full stop. And that overcomes that power that people want to have to destroy the world. He, William Borden, Borden, overturned the serpent's will, okay? And by the way, over the next generation, there were thousands of missionaries that went out after reading his story and knowing who he was and what he had done. Now, I want to end with this, okay? What does God do about all of this? And here's the end. It, it's, it's in a nutshell, basically, in verses 8 and 9. Here's the rest of history, in a nutshell. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the cool of the garden, in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? But the Lord called to the man, where are you? Notice two things here. One, we are hiders, okay? We will hide. We'll hide. We'll say, you know, among, among church planters like me, you get together and you say, oh, you know, we've got this many of these, we've had this many of these Sundays and you hope there's no one there to hear that in actual fact you're, you know, you're counting legs instead of heads. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. Uh, that means, you know what I mean? That sort of stuff can go on very easily. We're now hiders. We hide sometimes from the truth and that sort of stuff, but God seeks. It's our nature now is to hide, but it's God's nature to seek. God comes back saying, where are you? He's there. He's engaging. In love, he's coming after them. In love, he's counseling them. In love, he's trying to get them to answer his, 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 you know, his voice, answer his voice again. And obviously, God's love finds its ultimate expression in Jesus Christ. He deals with the cold, sneaky atmosphere. Jesus deals with the lie, and Jesus deals with our sins. Just think about this. Adam and Eve were in a bright, sunny garden, okay? And God said, obey me, obey me about the tree, and you will live. And they didn't, all right? And Jesus was in the dark garden, God said, obey me about the tree and you'll be crushed. And he did. That's how God works. Here's what he did. He, Jesus climbed the tree of death and turned the tree of death, the cross, into the tree of life for you and me. He reversed everything. He reversed everything. There's this great reversal of the tree of sin. And what's the tree of sin? It's us putting ourselves where only God deserves to be. The tree of salvation is God putting himself where we deserve to be. I'll say that again. Where, what's the tree of sin? It's us putting ourselves where God des only God deserves to be. The tree of salvation is God putting himself where we deserve to be on the cross. And that not only deals with the tree of sin, but that deals with the lie as well. The lie is you can't trust God. In Jesus Christ, hanging on the, on the cross, you can trust God because he's dealing with these things for us. All the poison in your life is because you don't believe God really loves you. If, you. if we believe that God really, really, really loves us, it just empties us of all the anxieties and all the poison. The question is, have we seen Jesus Christ climbing the tree of death and turning that tree of death that he went through to a tree of life for, you, for us? And when we see that, it finally takes the toxins out of our lives, out of our souls, and we start to actually believe that God really, really, really does love us. 
Or otherwise we keep on coming back to the fact that basically I'm on my own here and I've just got to go at it from my point of view. Lastly, Jesus even deals with the, the sneaky atmosphere. He turns the sneer into laughter, okay? I'll tell you where there's a great example of that. I, I, I don't know what happened. I come from a funny farm. I went to theological college and for whatever reasons, they made me president of the student's union within about 18 months, all right, which was really weird. God did that. That's, that's a fact. I think God's got a sense of humour because he did that. But while I was president of the student's union, we used to get with the other leaders of the other theologians, the Catholics and Lutherans and the ba- even the Baptists, you know. Excuse me, I was just trying to be funny. <laughs> All right. We, we would organise things. So we organised a, sm- a sporting afternoon and evening, right? And in the evening we were playing basketball. It might have been at Luther 7. I think they, anyway, it was a lit court somewhere or other where you could play basketball. And there was these, the Catholics were, were playing the Lutherans, right? And there were these, these two guys, and they would have been 6'5", at least. They were big guys, all right? And they were in the middle of this basketball court, and they start having an argument about who split the church, the Catholics or the Protestants. <laughs> and they were going, I was thinking, I'm not going to get between those two, they're too big, you know? And then they looked at each other after sort of getting into that sneaky atmosphere. They looked at each other and saw how stupid it was. We all follow God through Jesus Christ, right? And they laughed at each other and they ran down the, the, the basketball court with their arms over each other's shoulders. That's what God does to us in Jesus Christ. He turns that negativity into laughter. Sometimes I think when I think, I've been a Christian all these years, I think, shut the front door, you know. God is so good. And you, I get an, honestly, I get a smile on my face because I think, he's done it, you know. He's done all of that. My final little example of and it's my of my own situation about ego and putting the ego in the right places uh, 10 years ago about 10 years ago i was going to youth group on a friday night which i'd done every year since i was about 14 uh, i still wasn't actually in the youth group now i was running it i had educated myself <laughs> up to that point of view um and i said to neva i feel really i don't feel well i haven't felt well for some days and just before i left the house to go to youth group it was down i was leaving the house i think it was a christie's beach um i i got sick of you know that sort of sick so i wasn't going to go to youth group after that because i knew i was sick so neve took me up to the norlunga hospital where I, to emergency where i went a number of times i've never been in emergency but i just about owned that place there for a while and, and then I, I, I decided on the way out, I would not take my Bible, I wouldn't take books, you know, try, you, all of a sudden you get very spiritual because you don't know what's happening to yourself. I, I just decided I'd listen to God. So in the ambulance between uh, Norlunga Hospital and, and Flinders Medical Centre, God said to me, he said to me, he said, uh, you will be well. And that, done, that didn't help me much because I do know a bit about theology because wellness is wholeness. And no human being is whole other side, this side of when you're dead. So I thought, <laughs> right. I mean, that's fair enough, God. If, if I'm going to go, I'd rather go and become whole than be here, right? They get me up to Flinders, and I was still trying to listen, and I spent all night out in this, in the pa- you know, if you're on one of those things, you're in the, everyone's kicking you as they go past, and in the morning, next morning, finally they get there and they start to sort you out. And this young Chinese doctor, he looked about 15 to me, he, he takes me down, puts me through the, you know, the donut machine, and he comes and he comes back to me and he says, "Oh, what do you think's wrong with you? Have you got appendicitis or diverticulitis?" So I was thinking, well, in the back of my mind, I think oh, I've got cancer, I'm going to die because I'm going to be whole, you know, in a few hours. 
And I was thinking, I said to him, I don't know. How would I know? You're the one that put me through the donut machine. He says, you've got appendicitis and I'm going to operate you on you this afternoon. And I said, how old are you? <laughs> and he said, I'll have you know I've been a doctor for 10 years, all right? Anyway, that afternoon, and this nurse is saying, he's really good, he's really good. Well, I had no option anyway. That afternoon, he, he operated on me, put the keyhole surgery in, and then because he found out my appendix was gangrenous and perforated, all right, he just ripped a hole in me, right, and pulls everything out that he can uh, and then stitches me up. So I'm in the sort of fairly high dependency ward and I felt really crook, right? And I had the hiccups because uh, when they put the keyhole surgery in, they put gas into you. And because he ripped me open, they couldn't get all the gas out. And I've got hiccups for a whole day and I've got all these cuts on me. So every time... But the other thing was because... I, you know, I love telling the story. You're listening now, so I'll keep going. Um, be because I, it had been perforated... It, pus had leaked into my guts, all right? So I have this big pus ball forming in my guts, all right? And I was getting sicker and sicker, right? About day five, I was crook. I, I felt really bad. And I had this dream, right? And, I, you know, I am an Eric Erickson person because of my family background. I tend to be sort of cut a bit loose from uh, emotional support from the family, you know what I mean? And so I didn't realise but. Because of that, Jesus, who's very kind to me, he's actually speaks to me quite directly. Like about two months ago, I did that calf muscle in jogging. I, I think I'm jogging still. Everyone knows I'm just doing a fast walk now. I'm old. But, and I was walking back home, you know, hobbling back home, and I was thinking, oh, you know, um, I won't ever be able to jog. I like jogging, and that's where I hear God speak to me quite often. And, and Jesus says, well, how many people at your age still jog? And I said, well, not a lot, I have to be honest. And he said, well, don't you think you ought to be a bit thankful for <laughs> what, what you've got? I thought everyone hear that. But in actuality, the point I want to make out of that is that God in Christ will speak to you in his own way. You know what I mean? It won't be like that. I think he's got to be quite direct with me because of who I am and how crazy I am. All right? So anyway, I'm getting really crook and I, and, I, and I just, you know, I just wasn't sure what was going on. Eventually they put a needle into me and sucked all that stuff out and I watched that all happen, you know, and I got better. Obviously I'm still here. But on this particular day, or this particular night, I can't remember the day, it was, would have been night, I guess, I had this dream. Now, I normally have anxiety or puzzle dreams because of my childhood, you know what I mean? Uh, but this time, it was unbelievable. Um, I was, in the dream, I was one of the, an older disciple and we, we were with Jesus and we were coming down the side of this hill or mountain and I was behind because I was sick in the dream like I was sick in the bed, like in my real life. And we came around the side of this mountain, we went in, under a, like a cliff and into this cave and I was behind, I was the last one because I was really sick. And there was, I know that there was sort of black on the roof of the cave and there were people. Now, obviously, people just stayed there overnight because they either didn't have somewhere else to sleep or were coming through. And so everyone counted down. Jesus sort of was talking to the other disciples. And then he, he sort of got me in and put my head on his lap. That's pretty special, isn't it? In the dream. And that's where I, that's where I slept that night in the dream and in the morning they'd gone obviously he had something else he had to do but he'd rolled up a, a cloak and put it under my head and there were these two ladies standing there and they were talking and they were talking 
in a language, they all were talking in a language I couldn't understand. I think it was Aramaic, I reckon, because that's their very common language. And these two ladies were just waiting for me, and I knew um, I needed to go with them, so I eventually I got up and walked behind them. I just walked in front to talk and came to their house, and it was quite a big house, so I assumed that it was some of the rich ladies that looked after Jesus. You know, there were rich people who looked after him. And they took me inside, and there was a raised platform with a fire on it, and there was a rug, like a blankety sort of thing, which they got me to lay on it. And the really weird thing was they had a, some food and some water, and they were in those bowls that kid, you make when you were a kid, those little ones at school that are really rough, and you'll, the kids come home, here's a bowl, and you think, is it really a bowl or is it a bird, you know? <laughs> and anyway, um, at that stage, uh, the dream pretty much ended. I knew Jesus had gone down that way with the disciples, and I knew that once I was well, I'd follow him, all right? So what I'm saying to you is, is that never, ever believe the fact that sneaky atmosphere. Never believe the pain because Jesus is looking after each one right now in that um, unbelievably brilliant way. The Father and the Son really love you guys through the Holy Spirit. And so the thing to do is to take your ego to Jesus and banish the sneaky atmosphere. Amen? Amen. Let's just pray for a second. Jesus, I thank you for being so brilliant. I thank you for, for being that one God, the Son, who emptied yourself and came down here and grew as a human being. We thank you that you've actually turned these things around now. You've turned them around forever. And I pray that in our hearts your spirit would come and let us have that confidence to cry out to you as the Son of God and our Saviour that you, we love you and that we know that you love us. And pray that we'd actually, through you, have that confidence in the Spirit to cry out to God, Father, my Father. And pray that we as a church, the Encounter Church, we would just grow in that confidence of your love, of your goodness, of your redemption, and also of, the per of your purpose for us, both individually, like Mike and Jen, and for the others as well, for the rest of us as well. And I pray that we would grow together and be your disciples and, and be your loving family that we can be a light to prospect into other areas as well. So we pray your blessing on us. Come Holy Spirit, just fill us and bless us. And let us just allow, let us just allow our light to shine uh, to other people in this area for your glory. Amen.